that's all right, and welcome you this morning. Well, a very warm welcome to you all on this, the 21st of January, 2024. Welcome to Bankery Christian Fellowship Church. And welcome to you if you're in the church here, whether you're listening in online, whether you're a regular, or whether you're a visitor. It's lovely to have you with us here this morning. 1 Peter 1, 3-12. Born again to a living hope. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honour at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, You believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Thank you, Rachel. Good morning. Um, welcome to, to Bankery Christian Fellowship Church. Let me add my welcome to Adrian. It's wonderful to, to be able to gather here this morning to sing these songs that tell us great truths of who God is and what He has done for us. And we're going to open up His Word just now um, in First Peter. We just started this new series in First Peter last week, and it's a series that is so relevant for, for us. There's not much translation that has to occur for us to really understand the, the difficulties that the Christians that Peter was writing to in what is now modern-day Turkey, the, the difficulties that they faced are very similar to the difficulties Christians face here in Scotland and in Bankery. Um, it's difficult having relationships as a Christian with a non-Christian world. Um, And as a Christian, I wonder, how do you naturally respond when day-to-day life, just the ordinary stuff, when day-to-day life is hard because you are a Christian, when you're treated unfairly at work because you follow Jesus, when you're given the worst jobs and passed over for promotion? Inside, how do you respond? When your husband or wife 
is not a believer, and your marriage is difficult, and your spouse cannot understand why you want to go to church again, how do you respond? When the government introduces rules aimed at undermining Christian values and silencing Christian thought and speech, how do you respond? When what you believe as a Christian is laughed at and you're called stupid or you're treated as though you were, how do you respond? How do you protect yourself from this everyday kind of hardship that you face as a Christian? Well, here's some, some options that have been tried over the years by Christians. Option number one, go and live on an island somewhere. Remove yourself. You know, find some corner of this world where you can escape and you can gather all the Christians together on some remote island to avoid all of this secular hardship. Option number two, just live in a bubble. You know, perhaps you know living on an island is not really practical or biblical, but you create for yourself instead a small-scale version of this. You find yourself a holy huddle, a bunch of Christian friends, people who look like you and think like you, and you only socialize with them. You only speak with them. You don't interact with the outside world, except for in the briefest of moments when it's absolutely necessary. Here's another option. Perhaps you know that to be a Christian is to be in the world, not of the world. To be a Christian means living as an exile. That's what Peter describes Christians as, exiles. And we live in a place that doesn't feel like home because it isn't home. But we can withdraw emotionally. You know, you can become emotionally hardened. You could be angry about the state of the world and the difficulty of life as a Christian here. You could be an exile in this world, but be a bitter exile, because so often life as a Christian is unfair. And I don't know if any of these responses describes how you respond, but Peter describes for us a different response, a surprising response better than moving to live on an island or retreating into a bubble or becoming hard and bitter exiles. He writes to this church, this bunch of chosen exiles in difficult times, and he describes not a reclusive people or a downcast people, he describes happy exiles in hard times. And in fact, happy is too weak a word. Joy is what Peter shows us that should characterize the life of the Christian exiles in these hard times. Joy is a serious, solid thing. It's not fleeting like happiness. It's not so dependent on our present circumstances. Joy is a much stronger, much more complex, it's a much more solid thing. Joy and suffering can coexist. And in fact, we see that they must coexist in Peter's letter here. And it's this joy that is evident in Peter's writing. But how is it possible to be joyful in these testing times? How is it possible to be happy exiles in hard times? In these verses that we've got in front of us, I just want to point out five things that I think Peter points to, things that, that make for happy exiles. Here's the five things. Number one, 
Remember your new birth. Number two, know you are guarded by God. Number three, understand that hard times have good purpose. Number four, look forward to the unseen. And number five, remember how privileged you are. And there is one thing that that runs through all of these five things, one common thread of joy that these exiles experience, and it is the joy of their salvation. The facts of their salvation past, how and by what means they were saved, the facts of their salvation security in the present, who now holds them safe and who is with them in these hard times, the facts of their future salvation and their future perfect inheritance, and the facts of their privileged position as those to whom this incredible salvation comes. Salvation joy is their strength, and it is this that makes for happy exiles. So let's look at these points together. How can we today be happy exiles in hard times? Well, number one, remember your new birth. In verse three, Peter begins with an exclamation of praise. He begins with joy, an expression of joy to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he's speaking to those who are united to Christ. And so we know that the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ is our God and Father too. And he announces that our God and Father is to be joyfully praised. Why? Well, because of His great mercy, His great mercy that He showed to us. God, in the riches of His mercy, brought this people into existence. He gave them life. Peter tells the church to praise God because He caused them. He caused us to be born again. And then in a few short words, He reminds them of the fullness of what this new birth means. Their life was given to them by the active mercy and love of God. God is the cause. They've not made themselves God's people. They've not caused themselves to be born into His family. They haven't given birth to themselves. They have spiritual life because God made it happen. And this is true of every Christian. Remember your new birth. You did not do this for yourself. God caused them and any of us who are Christians to be born again. And as we remember our new birth, we understand that this isn't just some historical event, something that happened one time long ago when you prayed a prayer that has no relevance for your day-to-day life today. No, you were given new birth into a living hope, Peter says. And God did this by His great mercy. He did it also by His resurrecting power. These exiles were dead, and they've been brought to life, and this happened not through some resolve in themselves to work themselves into God's good books. This has been caused by God in His mercy through the power that He worked in bringing Jesus back from the dead. And because of this, God's people are alive, and the life they now have is one of never-dying hope, certain unending hope, because God is a God who is more powerful than death. 
and he brought Jesus back to life, and this life now flows through his people. This new birth that God brings about gives living hope for today. You know, it's hope that is rooted in the resurrection of Jesus in the past, and it also looks forward to an unparalleled inheritance in the future. See what Peter says of this inheritance that is ours by virtue of the new birth in verse 4. It cannot die or be destroyed in any way. It is imperishable. It is pure and perfect. Without spot or stain, it is undefiled. It never gets old or faded, and it is never, ever going to be snatched away. It is kept in heaven for you. You know, this, this inheritance that is the believers by virtue of this new birth, it's not like some uncertain investments that we might make. It's not like a pension whose future value is uncertain. You know, the value of this inheritance is inestimable. It is infinitely great, and it's not going to be snatched away. It cannot be missold to us. This inheritance is certain. And so, Peter, wanting to stir God's people to praise, wanting them to experience joy in testing times, and wanting them to be happy exiles in hard times, tells them, remember your new birth. Remember who caused it. Remember the power that He exercised to bring it about. Remember the living hope of your new birth, and don't lose sight of the inheritance that is attached to it. Today, when we as Christians face hard times, we need to be reminded of our new birth, reminded of the lengths that God went to, reminded of the mercy and power of God exercised in giving us this life and this hope. Remember that God caused this. God caused you to be born again. And what God does, no man can undo. So remember your new birth. Number two, know God guards you. When our children are growing up and when we want them to try something new, we know that they need a level of security. They know they're going to be safe. So when my children were learning how to ride their bikes, initially I had to hold onto the bike I had to be right there with them as they were cycling. They had to know that I wouldn't let go or there was no way they were getting on the bike. And then they had their stabilizers and then eventually the stabilizers come off. But they needed to know they were secure. And in fact, as adults, we have exactly the same instinct. We need to have security. We need to know that we are safe, especially when we're doing something that is potentially new or scary. Well, in verse 5, Peter continues his words about happy exiles in hard times by telling them who they are and that they are people who are safe. They are secure. He tells them that in these hard times that they will face, they are safe because God in His great power guards them. The God who has the power to raise Jesus from the dead uses His power to guard them. Peter tells them they are guarded by God's power through faith in Him. And as they take hold of Him by faith, they can know that He is their security. He guards them. And this security will not 
shake. It will last until the very end. I might have dropped my kids off their bike once or twice, I confess, but God will never let us go. God's guarding of us is perfect. But what then does it mean to be guarded by God if we're experiencing these hard times? You know, it's clearly not about being sheltered from the possibility of hardship or difficulty and pain. God's guarding of His people is one that is much deeper, much more secure than that even. When God guards His own, the Bible tells us He will not let anyone or anything take them out of His saving grasp. Trials may come, illness may come, relationship heartache, rejection, job loss. These all might come. But if you are God's, He guards you in the midst of all of these things and says to you, whatever may come, you are mine. I have you. Jesus spoke to His disciples in in John's gospel, and He said this. He said, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. What joyful security this gives to the believer, even in the midst of sorrow and suffering and hardship. It's this kind of security that allowed a man who had lost his business and lost his four daughters in a shipwreck to be able to write a hymn saying, it is well with my soul. He said, though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ hath regarded my helpless estate, and hath shed his own blood for my soul. You know, trials do come for the believer, but there is a cause for great joy, even in the midst of hardship. We can be happy exiles. We can be joyful exiles when we look up and remember that God has got us secure. He guards us But there is more for us to remember in the hard times. Another profound truth that Peter points us to in verses 6 and 7. Hard times have a good purpose. You know, there's nothing so so discouraging or frustrating, is there, for us as wasted experience. You know, we make every effort we can to, to squeeze squeeze the goodness out of things and to, to make the best of the time and the experiences that we have. So we want to avoid things that we think are pointless. We don't want to waste our time. And instinctively, we think that some experiences are more valuable, more filled with purpose than others. And some are simply a waste of time. They have no purpose. And pain in all of its forms, physical, relational, psychological, is one of those experiences that we just instinctively assume is pointless, wasted time, without any good purpose. And so we do all we can to avoid it. And when it comes, often we see it as mostly or perhaps only a bad thing, 
So we want to cut it short, and we want to avoid it. And I'm not suggesting for a minute that we should aim for pain and hardship and suffering. And some suffering, Peter actually goes on to say we should avoid, the suffering that is as a result of our own sinful mistakes, of our own foolish choices. But the kind of suffering that Peter talks about here in these verses, we'll see, isn't pointless. I take the example of a long-distance runner. We know that for a long-distance runner, comfort is not going to serve them well in their training. They know that getting out of bed far earlier than they want to, going out in the cold and the rain and running until their legs hurt and their feet are blistered, it serves a good purpose for them. Sitting on the sofa in comfort is not going to help. Well, the kind of suffering that the church faces that Peter addresses here is like the pain of this long-distance runner in training. They are facing hard times, and these hard times are very real and even painful. But they are hard times with a good purpose. And when we know that the hard times that we face have a good purpose, we cannot simply just endure them. It's also possible to rejoice in them. Look at what Peter says in verse 6. He says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. And that in this that the church is rejoicing is the guarding of God in verse 5, but it's also the trials themselves, because as Peter tells us, these trials are not some freak accident that could have and should have been avoided. They are necessary. Did you see that in the verse? He says that they are grieved by various trials for a time, if necessary. The difficulty they face is for a purpose. They are exiles on purpose. And what is that purpose? It is to strengthen and purify their faith to the point that it results in praise and glory and honor when Jesus returns and He is revealed to them. Peter compares their faith to gold being refined in fire. He says that the way that gold is, is melted down and the impurities are skimmed off, the dirt is removed so that it becomes pure, that's what's happening to their faith in these hard times. Their faith is being made more beautiful, more clear, stronger, and purer. He says that these trials that they are facing will make their faith even more precious and more imperishable than gold even. These trials, this fire, is making their faith more imperishable, more stable, more pure than gold. And the testing times, the hard times, have a good purpose and a beautiful result in the life of the believer. Knowing the purpose of these hard times can make for joyful exiles. It leads to praise and glory and honor being poured out to Christ when He appears to them. When you are tempted to think that the difficulty you are going through is pointless, know that there is good purpose in hardship, even if it is impossible for you to discern and impossible for you to see just now. For, for the kind of joy that we've been talking about, we need to be able to see beyond what we can naturally see. 
We need to be able to see what is unseen. And it's precisely this kind of vision that, that Peter turns the church to consider to next. Uh, number four, he says, look to what is unseen. Peter knows that what we see with our eyes is not what will give us joy that sustains us through tough times. He knows that the eyes of faith are what is needed. Eyes of faith is where we will see joy. And Peter commends the church he's writing to. These Gentiles, they have never seen Jesus in the flesh. They did not live near him when he was alive. They did not witness his death or his resurrection. But despite all of this, despite their lack of actually seeing Jesus, by faith they love him. And though they still do not see him in the flesh today, even in the midst of hard times and testing times, yet they believe in him. And this belief in him changes everything for them. When they look with eyes of faith and behold Jesus, they are enabled to love him, to believe in him, and their hearts are changed so they're not bitter or resentful of the trials they are facing. They instead have joy. They rejoice with joy, Peter says, with joy that is inexpressible, joy so deep and so profound that it cannot even be put into words. The difficulty, the difficulty they face hasn't gone away, but their response, because they can see the unseen Jesus and take hold of him by faith, is transformed into a delightfully, a delight a joy that is unequaled, that is beyond words, filled with glory. The reason for their joy, the reason they can live as happy exiles in hard times is that they look to the unseen Jesus and know that in Him they will obtain the outcome of their faith. They will be saved. There is deep joy to be found by looking beyond the physical, perishable things of this world, to raising our eyes from what is visible to what is invisible. The Apostle Paul puts it like this. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. We need to have our eyes lifted and our hearts raised above the trials that we face day by day. We need to look to Christ, even though we do not see Him now. We need to take hold of Him by faith and know that this is the way for us to know a deep joy beyond words. But how do God's people, how did this church know anything of this joy-inducing Jesus that they have never met or even seen in the flesh? Well, Peter here reminds the church this privilege came to be theirs. In verse 10 to 12, we see it. They have been privileged to have had people assigned the task of telling them about this great salvation, telling them about the salvation that comes through the suffering of Jesus on their behalf, the resurrection of Jesus that gives them hope beyond death. And it is to this great privilege that Peter turns next. Happy exiles in hard times know that they are a privileged people. 
verse 10 to 12, Peter shows the wonder that we, we are the ones that this marvelous salvation has come to. We see God spoke through the prophets in ages past, and these men and women worked hard to know the details about this salvation that they were talking about. They inquired and they searched to know who this Savior would be and when these things would happen. They had glorious truths revealed to them in part, and they spoke about them. They prophesied, but not for their own benefit. Peter says that these most privileged men and women spoke for your benefit. They knew that they had been assigned the task of telling a future generation about Jesus. They knew that they were speaking to serve us, even us today. The salvation they spoke of comes to us in the most remarkable way. We are the recipients of the fullness of what they spoke of. The prophets prophesied about the grace that was to be yours. And that's what Peter says. They were serving you, not themselves. We are a most privileged people to be the beneficiaries of this salvation. It's not something we deserve. It's not something we have earned. It's grace. And it's remarkable grace. The things that these prophets spoke of, the angels longed to look into this. The angels longed to have revealed to them what we have had revealed to us. We are beneficiaries of the salvation of God in a most remarkable, most privileged way. You know, the angels long to know what we know, but we are a privileged people. The joy of this salvation is ours, and knowing this privilege is an occasion for great joy for God's people. It's something that should humble us because we know we're not deserving of this salvation. We know we didn't earn this amazing grace. It's something that has come to us as an undeserved gift. You know, the fiery trials of many kinds we may face as exiles in this place. Do not diminish this. We may have to suffer many things. Our testing may be great, but we have an even greater salvation. An even greater glory is ours because of the great privilege we have as being the recipients of God's grace in Jesus Christ. We are a privileged people. So as we face out into the world, this world that we are called to live in as elect exiles. We can do it as happy exiles, joyful exiles in hard times. We can know real and solid joy. We can even with eyes of faith fixed on Jesus rejoice in the midst of these trials with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. And we do it as we remember our new birth, as we know that God guards us, as we know that the hard times we face actually have a good purpose. And when we look to Jesus and we look to things unseen, and we have this inexpressible joy, and we remember just how privileged we are. How will we respond this week to the everyday hardship that we may face as Christians? Let's do it as happy exiles, joyful exiles. 
in these tough times. Let's um, sing a song that reminds us of all that is ours in Christ. Some of the, the salvation facts that we have been reflecting upon in this letter in 1 Peter come out in this hymn. It says, what is our hope in life and death? Christ alone. What is our only confidence? That our souls to Him belong. Who holds our days within His hand? What comes apart from His command? And what will keep us to the end? The love of Christ in which we stand. And later on it says, who holds our faith when fears arise? Who stands above the stormy trial? And who sends the waves that bring us nigh unto the shore, the rock of Christ? Christ, our hope. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God our Saviour, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Bless you all and thank you.